Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. stuck with me for a little while here while Tony's on the river. Um, Greg's excited about that. (laughs) Hey, so two things I want to get out of the way real quick. Number one, I've already had like four people ask, and hopefully Tony's not streaming this. Uh, Keep asking if I stole his truck. Yes, I did steal the Gladiator. I am driving it right now. Tony, if you're seeing this, uh, we'll talk about it later. Um, Number two, if you, uh, if you look at your uh, listening guide on the back right there, it actually is all the same stuff that's on the back of the worship folder all the time. Let me, let me ask you to do something that will give Tony a better experience on the river and as he takes some vacation time to recoup after that, all right? Um, if you need something, uh, if, you are, if you're a volunteer, then you should already be on base camp. Use base camp. Talk to uh, ministry team leaders. If you've got something you need, if you've got something you need to communicate, make sure you're communicating that through them. If you need something for one of us who are, uh, you know, who are on staff here uh, or who are leading uh, kind of the, the ministries here, all our contact info is on here. So don't call Tony and bug him constantly. Fair enough? Okay. Hey, I appreciate that. And, and it will give him a much better experience. So uh, just honor him in that way. So we're going to finish out this last lesson here in our series about prayer and its role in our spiritual growth. First John uh, 5.14, and you'll notice that I messed that up in there. It says 4.14. It should be 5.14. It says this. It says that we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. So there's a, a core belief that we have when it comes to prayer, and that is... God hears every single prayer that's asked in his name. God hears. I know sometimes we we question that. God, are you really listening? Um, But he does. Now, I've had some moments where I wondered that. You probably have too. Let's go on 1 John 5, 15. It says, since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he'll give us what we ask for. So here's another core belief that we have about prayer. That is, is that God answers every prayer. So God hears every prayer, God answers every prayer, but, and here's the big but, he doesn't always answer them the way we want every time. If you've been doing this for very long, then that's something you've experienced, you probably already know. None of us are happy about that. Here's reality. No is an answer. Wait is an answer. Grow up is an answer. In a little while is an answer. That's the one we never liked as a kid, right? And in my way, that's, that's also an answer. Those are also ways that God can answer our prayers. You know, there's an idea in some circles that if you don't get what you prayed for, it's because you don't have enough faith. Let me just blow that up real quick, all right? There's a lot of examples in the Bible where God says no to great men and women of faith. They're just, they're they're all over the place. Prayers that were prayed by Abraham, God says no to. Moses, Daniel, Job, Elijah, Peter, Paul, God said no to all of them at one point or another. 
And if you want to argue that point that, well, they just didn't have enough faith, wait till we get to heaven. Let me know when you're going to go do that because I want to watch Paul punt, be the first person to punch somebody in heaven. Like, I want to witness that. So when you go tell him he didn't have enough faith, just let me know. Even Jesus didn't get his preference in the garden. Tony talked about that last week. Today, again, we're going to close out this series. But before we do, I want, I want to deal with something we're all going to experience, and that is what do we do when God gives us an answer to our prayers that we don't like? You know, that, that can be confusing. It can be frustrating. Why do some people get miracles and other people don't? Why, why when we pray for some people who are sick, some of them get well, and some of them don't? Why do some people get relief from their pain and other people don't? You know, why do some couples pray for a child and they get a child and others just as sincere claiming the promises of God, they don't, they're always, they never have one. In other words, why does God sometimes say yes and why does God sometimes say no? If you read through the book of Job, you'll find out that um, real quickly we can get in shaky territory when we try to presuppose why God is the way he is and why God does what he does. Frankly, uh, we're going to have a conversation today that can quickly transcend our pay grade. So we've got to be careful, but I, I want to scratch the surface of this question. Why would God say no? You know, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I mentioned the story of Joseph. So we meet Joseph in Genesis 37 as a spoiled 17-year-old kid who's his dad's obvious favorite. He's one of the most, uh, Joseph's one of the most respected patriarchs in the Jewish people, but his story has a lot, of, a lot of tragedy and a lot of misfortune that's kind of mixed into it. He's assaulted and he's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's unfairly accused of attempted rape by his master's cougar wife. She has him thrown into prison for years. In total, he's actually held in slavery and jail for 13 years before he ends up in front of Pharaoh. And, and from there... Things do get better. God uses them to save a lot of people from a seven-year region-wide famine, but to accomplish that, he's given the, the most stressful job in Egypt, and he's still cut off from his family. Look, God blessed Joseph in the midst of all of those situations, but you can't tell me he didn't pray for deliverance during those 13 years of slavery in jail. You can't tell me that he didn't look to God and go, God, why is this happening to me? God, why would you let these horrible things occur? Why, why don't you deliver me? Those are valid questions. Why wouldn't he deliver him out of those horrible predicaments? About 25 years after his brothers sold him off, they end up back in front of him, which, having had brothers... Like, that would feel really good, being Joseph in that situation. Like, I would, I would understand that. You always want to one-up your brothers, right? Joseph says this to him. Look at Genesis 45.5. Don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Man, this is the question that immediately comes up in my mind. How do you battle the bitterness that those 13 years in slavery and prison would nurture in a person? How do you get to a point where you can say this to the people who sold you into slavery, who ended up putting you through all of this? 
How do you battle the, the 25 years away from the father and mother you love without hating the ones who stole that away from you? How do you do that? How do you keep faith in a God who would allow it all? I, I believe that Jesus, uh, Joseph developed a mind and heart state to trust that God was still with him and God had a plan. Now, I don't believe that, that God caused Joseph's brothers to sell him off. I don't believe that God caused Potiphar's wife to throw herself at him and then lie about the situation and, and, and cry rape and accuse him. But we can see how God used those situations in his life. And that's what I want to look at here for just a few minutes. I think it'll help us maybe make sense of all this. See, sometimes God says no to our prayers because he can see something that we can't. Hebrews 4.13 says this, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. What did God see? You know, when he was looking out, even with Joseph as that 17-year-old kid in his dad's tent, what did he see? Well, let's, let's go just a little bit farther as Joseph's talking to his brothers in um, verse, chapter 45 of Genesis, verses 67. Let's see what he says. Joseph says, this famine that has ravaged the land for two years, it's going to last for five more years. There's neither going to be plowing nor harvesting. God sent me ahead to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. At this point when he's saying this, Joseph's looking back over 25 years, and he says, look, nobody saw what was coming. Nobody saw this famine that was headed our way. But God did. What do you think? Can God see more than you? Is he more aware of what's going on in your life, in your family, in this town, in this country than, than, than you or uh, the president's council or the, the UN scientists or CNN or Fox News analysts? Can God see more than all of them and all of that? Psalm 32, 8 through 9, I love this passage. I think I'm going to have my son write this every day for his entire life. The Lord says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you and watch over you. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. This is the one for my son. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. I will lead you. Don't fight me. That's what God's saying there, right? A couple of weeks ago, uh, my daughter Ava got her first real horseback riding lesson from, uh, from Kathy. And Kathy was teaching her how to sit on the horse and kind of how to, how to direct it. And, and one of the things she told her is, don't yank on the reins. Like that's one of the big rules, don't yank on the reins. My first job uh, growing up in eastern Kentucky was working on a horse farm. I mucked a lot of stalls, glamorous. One thing that I learned really quickly was the best horses are the ones that, that have learned to respond to their riders almost instinctually. Man, a good horse senses the slightest body language from their rider. They spend hours together. They train together. And the result is they're in tune with each other in such a way that they just, they just flow together. It's actually a beautiful thing to watch a trained horse and rider work together. And I'll tell you, a trained horse trusts the rider. They'll do things that they wouldn't naturally normally feel comfortable doing for that ride because they trust them, because they spent so much time together with them. An untrained and stubborn horse, man, that's a constant tug of war. You know the secret to Joseph's success? He trusted God. 
that even in those horrible conditions, those horrible situations, he was still faithful. He looked and he said everywhere God provided an opportunity for him, he stepped up into that. Instead of fighting God, instead of whining in the corner crying, why me? God, why me? Instead of playing the victim card, he recognized even in the hardest of situations, man, there's some opportunities here. He looked for them. He responded to them. He trusted that God could see ahead. And, And he must have trusted that God hadn't abandoned him and that God was working something out that he couldn't see. That trust then leads to this next reality. Sometimes God says no to our prayers when he has a better plan. Let's go back to when Joseph was a 17-year-old kid in his, uh, in his dad's tent. What do you think his dreams were? Ah, you know, grow up. He's got 12 brothers, right? I mean, he's going to grow up probably, get married in a few years, tend dad's flock, maybe get some of my own, kind of make my own way, split the inheritance with all these brothers that I've got. And I mean, honestly, his dad was wealthy. Probably wouldn't have been a bad life. It had been a normal life. Not bad at all. But God saw what was coming. A a famine that if it didn't kill Joseph's family, it would have bankrupted them like everybody else. If you read that account in Genesis about what happened during the famine, you'll find out that, A, it was region-wide. It, man, it, it affected all kinds of people for a massive, massive distance even around Egypt. You also find that, that all of Egypt was forced to sell off first their possessions and then ultimately their land to Pharaoh. And we actually know that from archaeology and from history that there was a time where things changed and you went from having people who owned a lot of the stuff to suddenly Pharaoh owned everything. People in the surrounding area died from that famine or they ended up in servitude or poverty. Years before, God had made a promise to a guy named Abraham that he would raise up a nation out of Abraham's descendants. Look, just if Joseph hadn't become who he became in Egypt, the history of God's people as we know it would be very different. I don't think there's any question about that. What's likely is some of that family would have died off. We wouldn't have the same 12 tribes of uh, of Israel that, that, that we have in our scriptures. And the ones who were left would have been destitute for probably generations. Through Joseph, they came to Egypt. Through Joseph, they grew in numbers and they grew in wealth. We've read this several times through this series here. Um, look at Isaiah 55, 8-9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Look, we, we look at issues and our plans are limited by our limited view. I can't see very far. I'm six foot one, barely. I've shrank a little bit because I'm getting old. I, but I can't see that far. I can climb up on a ladder, I can get on top of the house, and I can see a little bit farther, but still, my horizon is limited. And it's limited in every area of my life. Man, God never sees just one way of doing something. Unlike you, God's options are unlimited. He can see how everything's working out. He knows it all because he's above time and space. He created them. It's hard to trust when things aren't working out the way that we think they should in the time frame that we think they ought to happen in. That is hard. 
A great nation of people wasn't the only thing that God had promised Abraham. He promised him something else as well. It was a continuation of a promise that he made to first to Adam and Eve, then to Noah, on and on until we get to Abraham, and then on and on past Abraham. Do you know in the Bible, many of the greatest people of faith didn't get what God had promised to them in their lifetime? Adam, Noah, Abraham, even Joseph, they were all promised the same thing that the rest of God's people in the Old Testament were promised by God, a Messiah who would deal with the issue of our brokenness, ultimately. Our broken relationship with God. They were looking for that. They were longing for that, Scripture says. All of them lived and acted with faith that even though they couldn't see a hat, God didn't do it in their lifetime, but that God would. God would keep his promise. Hebrews 11, 39-40. All of them pleased God because of their faith, but they still died without being given what had been promised. And look at this. This was because God had something better in store for us collectively, right? He didn't want them to, teach the, he didn't want them to reach the goal of their faith without us. Man, that's a bit sobering when you really start thinking about it. Here's a hard reality that only faith can really make usable in your life. God has all of eternity to keep his promises. God has all of eternity to keep his promises. We want to lock him into our 80 or 90 years, but the reality is God's plan and God's picture is way bigger than that. There's about 6,000 or so promises in the Bible. But again, God's not limited by our lifetime here on this earth to fulfill all of them. Can I tell you a secret? They're not all, some of the promises God has for you are not going to be fulfilled until, until heaven. That's reality. That's what scripture tells us. But if you expect him to work in your time to do it your way, I'll just tell you, you're going to struggle. You're going to be frustrated. Let's look at one more. Sometimes God says no to our prayers when he has a a greater purpose. Again, who was Joseph when he found him? Spoiled, immature 17-year-old, still living in mommy and daddy's tent. By the way, 17 back then was like 40 today. I mean, they, they they had to mature quite a bit faster than we do. He was educated, but he was immature. Potiphar's house Um, He was there for probably close to a decade. It says God was with him. God provided opportunities for him to grow. And what happened was Potiphar, as Potiphar watched him grow and watched his his, uh, abilities grow, he gave him more and more trust and more and more responsibility. Scripture actually says that even though he was a slave, he was actually running all of Potiphar's household, so all of his investments, uh, all of his properties, all of that stuff, he was responsible for managing all of that for him. Likewise, he gets thrown into jail. Pretty soon he's running the whole jail. How good of a deal would it be to be the jailer and then end up having a prisoner run it all for you and just hang out? Let me just say this, though. He didn't go from being a nice guy who had some bad things happen to him to second in charge of Egypt just in a snap of the fingers and with no reason behind it. God prepped him for those responsibilities, He continually, throughout his life, he stepped up to the plate. Pharaoh didn't just hand things over because he gave him this interpretation of a dream. 
Joseph also gave him, out, gave him a, a well-thought-out strategic solution. And I can guarantee you that when, when he had called him up from the basement caverns, you know, wherever the jail was, that in the meantime, between getting Joseph cleaned up from the jail and in front of Pharaoh, I can promise you Pharaoh was checking his resume. Why is he in jail again? <laughs> what did he do? Potiphar, so he was yours? Talk to me about him. Jailer, how has he been? I get, that's, that's how these things happen. That's the reality of life. So what am I getting at? God could see this thing coming that nobody else could see. And he had a plan to bring his people through this calamity. But Joseph couldn't accomplish that, that purpose that God had for him still as an immature 17-year-old. And let's be honest, we've all known some people who haven't grown up since 17, right? Don't raise your hands. I saw you. <laughs> God didn't cause any of these horrible things that happened to Joseph, but he used them as a crucible to grow Joseph and for Joseph to, to gain confidence in his faith. Again, I guarantee you, over and over in those 13 years, Joseph asked God why, and he didn't get an answer. Those 13 years while he's in jail, those 13 years as a slave, there's no indication that God is telling him what's coming or what he's prepping him for. None of that is there. We're reading the whole story. It's easy for us to see. Joseph didn't get that. His life is just like your life. You're living it one day at a time, and you don't get all the answers to what's coming. Ten-year plan. (laughs) COVID screwed that up. I mean, if if that wasn't already out the window, like that one totally blew the bubble out, right? We don't know. He didn't either, and I just want to make that point. But God did answer his prayers, didn't he? He did answer those prayers. God did deliver them. Just didn't happen in the moment, or I'm sure in the way that Joseph prayed that it would. 1 Peter 1.7 says, uh, and he's writing to a group of people who are being persecuted for their faith. He said, the purpose of these troubles is to test your faith as fire tests how genuine gold is. Sometimes we cry out, man, God, don't let me go through this. Don't let me go through this trial. Don't let me go through this fire. And sometimes God's looking at that and saying, look, you're going to get through it. It's going to be hard. Man, I'll be with you every step of the way. On the other side of this, you're going to be different. I'm going to use this. I don't like it any more than you like it, but I can use it. Freed from that habit that's controlled you. Freed from that that person. Free from that fear. Free from that guilt. Free from that shame. Free from those things that have been binding you up. I'm going to work those things out in the midst of this. Sorry it's got to happen this way, but this is the opportunity. Look, that doesn't happen unless you go through some refining fires. I've been through mine. I know a lot of you guys have been through yours. There's probably going to be more to come because I'm not perfect yet. I mean, I'm close, but I still got little ways. My wife tells me about them all the time. Sometimes God says no to set you free. Sometimes God says no. This one's hard. Sometimes God says no so you can set other people free. Here's a beautiful truth, but one I think that's, that's kind of hard to hear. God's more concerned with my character than he is with my comfort. 
Over the last decade or so, uh, developmental researchers, child psychologists, they've come to an interesting conclusion if they have studied our latest crop of kids. One of the problems a lot of kids face today is their parents keep them too safe. Do you know kids actually need risky play? They need bumps and bruises. I'm not saying they need a broken arm. Don't just go break their arm. But, I mean, if they fall off the monkey bars, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? And, and what's interesting is it's not just, it is, they've looked and they've, they've figured out that you need that from physical development. You know, if little kids don't hang upside down, their inner ears don't develop right. They need to tumble around. They need to hang upside down. They need to climb trees. They need that stuff. And they've also found that if they don't do those things mentally and emotionally, they don't develop as well either. One article I read noted, although letting kids take risks may be scary for parents and teachers, it's an essential part of growing up. I like the way this one study put it. We're learning the need to keep kids as safe as necessary, not as safe as possible. I like that one. Not as safe as necessary, or as safe as necessary, not as safe as possible. What if our Heavenly Father knows that for us too? We all, man, we all want, God, keep me safe. How many times have you prayed that? What if he knows that uh, it's safe as necessary, not safe as possible? I want safe as possible. I don't want any bruises. I want everything to go peachy. I want everything to go perfect. I want everything to be smooth. Do we grow that way? So what do we do with an answer that we don't like? At its core, this is just an exercise in faith. Faith starts with trust. One of the first things you have to learn to trust is that God does everything in goodness and love. And again, Scripture makes some promises to us about who God is and how how he operates. It tells us that God is love, that he created in love, that he sustains us in love, that his purpose is love. Psalm 25.10 says this, The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. It's easy to question love when it limits us, when it corrects us, when it doesn't give us what we want, right? That's when we look at mom and dad, we're like, you don't really love me. You won't let me do what I want to do. I'm sure Joseph had moments, man, wondering if God really loved him because he felt ignored. Bad things were happening to him. Stuff he didn't deserve. And I'll be the first one to say, he didn't deserve some of the stuff that happened to him. But a statement he made to his brothers shows us that he recognized a truth that's echoed in the New Testament, that God can use even bad, unjust things in this world to ultimately benefit us and others through us. That's what Romans 8.28 says. Here's an important mark of maturity. I don't have to understand God's answer to know that it's motivated by love. There are times... Man, I'll tell you, there have been a bunch of times. I went through some this week. I don't know why. I can't make sense of a few things. I know God still loves. Sometimes that's the only thing you can hold on to. I get that. Hold on to that. Don't let that one slip through your fingers. So when we don't understand, even if we trust God, what do we do? Well, here's one option. When we're in pain, we can pray what Jesus prayed facing the cross. Again, Jesus prayed, a, uh, Jesus prayed a prayer the night before he went to the cross. Tony talked about it last week. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows tomorrow he's going to be suffering, that he's going to be tortured. He's going to be put on the cross. He's going to be shamed. He's going to be spit on. 
He's going to be crucified. He doesn't want to go through the pain that he knows is coming. The Bible says in agony, he went to the garden to pray. And the prayer that he prayed in that prayer, you should pray when you're in pain. So follow this closely. Mark 14, 35 to 36. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. If you need that prayer in bullet points, simplified, let me, let me give it to you real fast. Let me give you a pattern that we see in it. First, affirm God's power. And again, that, that goes back to who God is. God, I know everything's possible for you, so that's why I'm coming to you, <laughs> right? We don't go to people that can't help, right? We go to people who can. God, I know you can help. You're here. Then ask with all your heart. God, here's what I see. Here's what I wish would happen. I'm not holding anything back. I'm just bare before you. So here's, here's what's going on in me, emotionally, mentally, physically, like here I am. That's what we see Jesus doing. And then accept God's plan. And you do that ahead of time. I want your will to be done. Whatever that is, I trust that you still love me. Therefore, I want your will to be done. Because you can see farther than I can see. Because you got a plan that is way bigger than mine. And takes way more into account. And because I can trust that you love me, God, do your will. That's a simple outline. Sometimes the only thing we can know to do is simply pray, God's will be done. I, I believe you can pray that prayer about anything, anywhere, and even about anyone. I, I've even had some people going through abuse, and I, I've encouraged them to even pray for their abusers and just simply pray that prayer, God, let your will be done in their life. That will help keep your heart soft. It'll help keep you from getting bitter if you can pray for your abuser. If you can pray for the people in your life that hurt you, I know that's hard. I've had some people who got mad at me for that, and I get it. I understand why, but I think you can still pray that prayer, even if you got bad thoughts about what God may do in getting their attention. That's fine. Just, God, let your will be done and mean it and give it to him. Third thing is I got to look to God to provide the grace to handle his answer. This is about how we handle an answer we aren't crazy about. There's a lot of examples of this in Scripture. Job gives us an extreme. The apostle Paul, he also had several moments. One at his conversion, another years later in the middle of one of his missionary journeys. That's in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time God said to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and persecutions and troubles I suffer for Christ because I've learned when I'm weak, I'm strong. And I don't think that's because he thought he was strong. That was because God's strength worked through him. Habakkuk is another one that really speaks to this, and truthfully, this passage is one I've kind of leaned on over the last couple of weeks, because like I said, there's, there's been a couple of things that happened that were frankly unfair, and I don't understand why God allowed them to happen, but they're happening. Habakkuk looks at the brokenness in this world. He cries out to God asking, why do you let all this bad stuff happen? But in the midst of that conversation with God, he sets his heart and mind in a direction Look at this direction. He decides this is the way I'm going I'm to approach this. 
Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there's no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. That's about as bad as it gets in an agrarian society, right? Like that is, stock markets crashed, houses gone, car went kaput. Like that is everything. He says, in the midst of all of that, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Here's the challenge. Challenge is to learn to worship God regardless of our situation. I'm not saying you gotta be happy about your situation. I don't think God expects you to be happy about those situations. But that's different than choosing to worship. It's two different things. This is a challenge that we see in Job. This is a challenge we see with Paul and Habakkuk. And I certainly think we see it in Joseph's life in response. Learning to worship God, even when we get the answer, we hope, frankly, not to hear. Or it's coming in a way that we weren't necessarily prepared for. Let me just say this. Strong faith doesn't depend on God to answer every prayer that we want. That kind of faith actually isn't all that strong. Strongest faith trusts. And in trust it says, you know what, God's plan's always going to be better than mine. Why? Because he can see things I can't see. Because he's got a plan that is way bigger than the plan that I can come up with. He knows more than me. He's got more information. God, here's what I desire and see. May your will be done. I want to leave you with Psalm 910. It says, those who know your name trust you, Lord because you've never deserted those who seek your help. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for loving us, and again, I thank you for an opportunity just to come together, to be your people, to cry out to you. There's a lot of hurts in this room right now. There's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of people going through things that are, frankly, unfair, things they don't deserve. And then there's some of us, we're, we're owning the consequences of some of our choices, too. Father, help us all. Help us to, uh, to trust that you really do love us and then build everything else off of that. Father, help us in the realization that uh, you are God, that you see things we frankly don't see, that you have a plan that is far bigger than anything that we could come up with. Father, I thank you for allowing us to come to you and lay all of our stuff out. You don't get frustrated and mad with us when we go, all right, here's what I see, God. Here's, here's what I want. But God, help us to have the faith and the trust to ask for your will be, to be done. We love you. Again, we thank you for Jesus, and Jesus is the proof that, that you really do love and that your plan spans generations and that you always keep your promises. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen.